Good morning, Five Stones. Everybody, hello, morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. As we uh, settle in, uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for uh, this morning that we can gather together. Thank you for this wonderful space that we, we have here at Lord Kelvin. Bless the school, Lord, as they... As, as, as this institution has, uh, has allowed us to, to, to be here in this place. And uh, we, are, we are so thankful for that. And we ask that you would bless this school and, uh, and bless the people who are, who are in charge of this school as well. And Lord, we also thank you for, uh, for this morning as we gather together. We know that your presence is among us because we know that when two or three are gathered in your name, your presence is here. And so we, we worship you and we adore you. We, we praise you for all that you've done for us. And we thank you again for this uh, uh, series that we're going through in, in the book of Romans. And uh, it's, it's so exciting to be in the book of Romans because that's, there's so much in there that, uh, that you can teach us and lead us into, into freedom, into, into, uh, into reconciliation, into, into your truth into, into uh, uh, grace, to be empowered by your grace. And so we ask that you would, by Holy Spirit, teach us and lead us so that we could hear you, hear your words, hear your, your, your guidance, hear your, your teaching. And so, Jesus, we, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We know that you are among us and, and leading us and guiding us by your Spirit. And so we ask for your, this time to be, to be holy, this time to be for us to, to worship you through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <coughs> so this is my first time speaking in this place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually don't speak in school, so. <laughs> yeah, but I, this is great. This is wonderful. Um, I trust that we have been, uh, we feel like we have been, I, I, I know I am, to be blessed in a place where all of us could be together in one space instead of, you know, having that overflow room in our old space there, right? So this is, this is really great and really wonderful. As we just heard from uh, Pastor John, uh, this is the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Weekend, and, uh, and this is, this, this is a, a time I think we need to also honor and, and, and also to lament uh, that, uh, that such a tragic thing has happened, that uh, the residential schools and uh, the uh, folks who have uh, uh, survived it uh, and those who have not survived it, we need to uh, remember. We need to remember the horrors that, uh, that, that they went through. And, uh, and the impact that when, when someone who's supposedly more civilized or superior are make a judgment call and say, hey, we need to change you guys or uh, strip away your, your, your customs and your, your culture and your freedom to be who you are and strip them all away in the name of we think we know better. We think we know better. We think we are more civilized or more, you know, just, just a little bit more superior. 
this was the case in the book of Romans. I don't know if you know that. But this was the same thing that was happening in the book of Romans. Folks, you see, there was one time um, when Paul was writing this, this uh, book of Romans, it was a time where, where there were two warring factions in the, in, in the church. There was the, uh, the Gentiles and the Jews. And when they got together, they were having fights. They were, they were dis- disagreeing with each other. They were, they, they, they weren't a, this, this is supposed to be the church of Jesus Christ. You know, people supposed to be loving one another, united. And Paul is just appalled at what, what is happening there. He just couldn't fathom. He couldn't fathom what, why is this going on? Why is this? And he's just having a, as he heard what was going on in the church, he, he wanted to address that whole situation. He wanted to address the, the, uh, the whole fact that uh, the, uh, the Romans, the Roman church at one time, see they were, uh, it started with a lot of Roman, uh, I mean Jewish, Jewish people gathering together as a, as a church. Then suddenly one day, em- Emperor Claudius, the Roman emperor came around and said, you guys with, have uh, been causing a lot of trouble, out you go. They were expelled, kicked out of Rome. And so the J- Jewish Christians left Rome, and what happened was the whole bunch uh, that was left behind were the Gentile Christians. And the Gentile Christians got along pretty good you know, among themselves. And then suddenly when the ban had, was over, the Jewish Christians came back, and guess what? They were not seeing eye to eye. The Jewish Christians were saying, hey, I think we, we know better. <laughs> you need to become Jews. You need to become people that are circumcised, honor the Sabbath, uh, don't eat pork, you know, kind of stuff. And uh, you, you need to become like us Jews. And uh, Gentile Christians, these non-Jewish people, they were saying, that's strange. Never heard of that, of that before. And uh, they were not seeing eye to eye. Say, don't force us to become uh, like you guys, like the, you know, doing all these strange customs and, and rituals and uh, things that, that, that only belong to your, your, your ethnic group. And the Gentile Christians are saying, wow, we feel, we feel this pressure to conform, to conform to what, what you guys are doing. And so you can see that there's this group that's trying to force their way in, the Jewish Christians, when the Gentile Christians are just getting along fine, and say, hey, and then, of course, you know, say, you offend me, I offend you, what? You know, <laughs> all kinds of things that are going on there, and, uh, and all kinds of all offense was, was, was taken in, and, uh, and people were, were not happy. Church was wasn't a fun place. And why is Paul saying that this is such a thing that he has to address? It's because the mission of Jesus was at stake here. If the people, the church that is supposed to display the grace and of Christ can't get along, what good news will there be for the people who are lost? 
if the people of God can't even get their act together, it's over. <laughs> it's over. It's over. And also Paul, you know Rome, coming from Jerusalem and Rome, he wanted to do something. He wanted to make Rome a place where he can stop and, and rest perhaps before he goes to somewhere else, further out to Europe, to Spain. That was his desire. But if the church that is in Rome is in tatters, it broken, and uh, how can he make this a place where he, he could recuperate or be, be blessed by? The church was bad news at that time. So Paul had to write this letter to address what was going on in that place, to address the, the brokenness, to address the, uh, the, the fights, to address the, the, all the people who felt offended. And he said, we got to bring unity. So how in the world is he going to bring unity? How on earth is he going to bring unity to a place where everybody can't see eye to eye? How on earth is he going to bring unity? So Paul writes about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel tells them about the good news. The gospel is about what? It's the power of God in Romans chapter 1. It's the power of God for everyone, to everyone who believes. It's about faith. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. That is the power of God. Believe in, and it is about having faith, having, because the righteous will live by faith, quoting Habakkuk, quoting uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. So he's saying, look at the, look at the Bible, look at the uh, Old Testament even. It's always, the story of faith has always been there. It's not just about rituals, it's not just about rites, it's not just about all, uh, how you feel offended and, and whatever. First of all, focus in on what God is doing through the gospel. So how are they going to bring, how is Paul going to bring that unity? Well, Paul says, first of all, you've got to look at the fact that everybody is guilty. <laughs> everybody is guilty. No, nobody gets off to say they're more superior than the other. Even the Jew and the Gentile, they're all guilty before God. So we see how Paul argues in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 320, how Paul argues for the fact that everybody is guilty, right? Leveling, leveling the guilt of humanity. And then he levels everybody's guilt. Gentile and Jew also are guilty. And, uh, and then we get... This summary and conclusion, no, there's no one righteous, not even one, not even one. Everybody is guilty. So there's this universal, uh, universal sinfulness and guilt that's there. Everybody's on the same playing field, whether you think you're superior or not, whatever, doesn't matter. Everybody's guilty. You're all in the same boat. No one is right. No one's more superior. Everybody deserves death. Everybody deserves to be punished. Everybody deserves the wrath of God. So 
So as we think about this, this is the place where everybody can get united on. Everybody is sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the story continues. How is Paul going to bring this unity? Now that everybody is guilty, everybody is feeling bad, here comes the story of the gospel. In chapter 3, verses 21 to 31, we hear about the justification by faith uh, story. We hear about how right now, in chapter uh, 3, verse 21, it says, but now. I love the phrase, that turn of phrase in Scripture. Every time there's a little turn of phrase in Scripture, you really got to pay attention. Say, but now. You know, all the buts. You got to listen to all the buts. Yeah. And, but now. But. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to listen to that. Yeah. And uh, that turn of phrase. But now a righteousness of God has been manifested. And, uh, and that turn of phrase tells us something. Right now, something has happened that God is doing. And the righteousness of God. When you hear the word righteousness, m- most of us think of, the, of uh, you know, like, oh, that, that guy is always, you know, uh, right or, you know, he's in the, in the right. That means it's, uh, he's a he's, he's good guy or he's... he's uh, that's just the right thing to do, and uh, we think about that. But when the word righteousness is, is spoken of in Scripture, in the Old Testament and New Testament here, this word righteousness has a lot of, packs a lot of meaning behind it. It, it speaks of the fact that, that, uh, that God is, uh, speaks of the character of God, that there is, there is this covenant loyalty uh, behind it. God has always kept his word. That is what it means to be righteous. God has never, never gone back on his word. God has always kept his word. That is righteous. God has never abandoned his people. That is righteous. God always is faithful. That is righteous. God has promised, kept. That is righteous. So it's not just right behavior, but character. Not just uh, a right kind of uh, conduct or say the right thing, but it is a, a deeper character that's involved here. This is the righteousness of God that's been revealed. And it's for, if you read on in, in Scripture in chapter 3, verse 20, 22, it talks about, it is about faith, this righteousness that has been revealed, and it's about faith in Jesus for all who believe, right? For all who believe. So let's, uh, let, let us turn to ch- chapter 3, verse 21. So I just want to read from there. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest, manifested, manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's a lot of words there, right? 
But what it's basically saying here is that even before, even before uh, the law came, a righteousness that is apart from the law, although the law and the prophets uh, witnessed, bear witness to it, this righteousness of God through faith in Jesus is for all who believe. So it's about faith, about faith. And uh, so what Paul is trying to address here is, yes, you're all sinners. Yes, you're all, you know, everybody, Jew or Gentile, there's this split between you guys. Everybody's guilty. And then he says, this, but now, this guilt is answered. This guilt is taken away. How? When you believe in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus. And the word belief is more than just mental assent or just say, oh, I believe. Even, you know what? Even the demons believe and they shudder, right? In the book of James, talk about that. It's more than just belief. It's, it's knowing the character of God. Is knowing who he is, knowing that he has kept his word. This is the righteousness of God. This is the, the kind of righteousness that, that, that is deeper than just saying something in your brain. It is who God is. And this righteousness has been manifested. It's revealed to us. And it's a gift. Verse uh, 24, chapter 3, verse 24. It says here, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As a gift. So hear that, people. Hear and, and, and remember this righteousness that is from God is now for us when we believe. It's a gift. And then goes on to talk about the Abraham story uh, as a as, uh, as was uh, written in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 9 and, and forward. And the, if you read on, you will know that uh, chapter 4, verse 10 talks about the purpose of this whole story about Abraham was to make him the father of all who believe. Now, if you know Abraham's story, you know that Abraham uh, wasn't uh, that circumcision the whole rite of circumcision which the Jews want everybody to, to, to practice, want the non-Jews to practice, said, circumcision, you know what? You are the, you, you think Abraham is your father. Well, Abraham was also the father of the Gentiles, <laughs> the Gentile believers. Abraham, when Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham was was counted as righteous before God. Do you remember the circumstance of the story? The story is told that it was even before there was circumcision. Abraham was already considered righteous by God. So he is the father of all. Everybody who believes, Gentile or Jews, doesn't matter. So that's the purpose, was to make him the father of all, of, all who be, of all who believe without even being circumcised. 
So verse 16, why? Gives the reason. Because God's promise may rest on grace. It has, the story of the scriptures has always, always been about grace and faith. It is not about whether you, you believe the, that uh, you have the right kind of uh, worship style or the right kind of music you know, or the right kind of, of praying. It's always rest on who God is, his righteousness, his ability to keep his word, his character, his uh, promise keeping, his, that he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he is always for us. And so we can go to God resting on the promise, which is resting on grace. So what is Paul wanting to direct this warring, divided church to is this, an outrageous, audacious faith, basically. Uh, let's read from uh, Romans chapter what is this? Romans uh, verse 18 here. In hope he believed against hope and uh, that he should become the father of many nations. Fully convinced, uh, I'm, ha- I'm just wearing my new glasses here trying to, you know, <laughs> trying try to, to, to read from this new glasses. Yeah, okay. Uh, fully convinced that, uh, the, that God was able to, to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. So God is, through Paul, is trying to, con- to uh, convince this group of people that were fighting, saying, what is God trying to do is, is con- help them to find faith. Helping them to find faith and how in the style of Abraham, who believed God when everything was impossible. Do you remember the story? You know, I'm an old guy. I'm a real old senior citizen. How am I going to have a baby? <laughs> right? Against all hope. And suddenly God, bang, there was a baby. <laughs> you know, like, wow. And how did that happen? Because Abraham believed. Abraham, it, it, it is such an outrageous Outrageous, uh, audacious, risky, foolhardy even. You think, how can a senior citizen with a senior citizen wife (laughs) get a baby? Anyway, that's that's impossible. That's crazy to even believe that. And there, from that on, uh, this is what it means to have faith. It's to believe in God in spite of all, you know, even against all the odds, against all the odds. So as we read on, in Romans chapter 5, because of this faith, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul is leading 
his readers to a place where they say, yeah, we got peace. Because we've been justified by faith, we have this model of faith through, through uh, the, that person of Abraham. And now, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's our condition. That's where we stand with God. That's, that's, that's the uh, declaration that comes from heaven saying, you have peace. Can you imagine what that effect on these two divided camps are? We have peace with God. How can we fight with each other? <laughs> How can we then look at each other like enemies? How can we even offend each other? We shouldn't be doing all that anymore. We have peace with God. Let us have peace. Paul is actually trying to lead them into a place where they're saying, where he's saying to them, we have, you have peace with God, let's have peace with one another. Let's have peace together. It's about our community that is at stake here. Let us have peace. And it's really interesting that the, the phrases that Paul uses here, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. Why I say that is really interesting is because when he used that, used that phrase, access, it has temporal, uh, temple uh, thinking in it, temple theology behind it. It has the, the, uh, the whole idea of getting access into the Holy of Holies, getting access into the presence of God. So these two warring parties, the one that says, I'm more superior than you because we have all these Old Testament rights and whatever, and then the, 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 the Gentiles are saying, hey, you know, we're in your face. <laughs> you know, we, we don't like what, what you guys stand for. Or, you know, and, and both offend each other and say, no, we have peace now. Let us have peace because we all gain entry into the presence of God by faith, by trust, by trust in the character of the righteous God, the one who kept his word, the one who kept his covenant. Because we all broke the covenant. We're all sinners. But we now, we too, all of us, these two warring parties, we have that same access into the temple of God. And it is iro ironical when you think about it. It's almost humorous. Here, the Apostle Paul, like his, if you know his story, you know that at one time, his name was Saul. I mean, he was like a murderous you know, son of a gun, right? <laughs> he was so murderous, he, he hunted people. On his most wanted list were Christians. And he killed, I mean, he, he didn't directly kill people, but he basically handed them to, to the gallows. And for this Jewish Pharisee who loved the Jewish law to suddenly have this transformation and say, now I accept Gentiles. Now we can all have peace together. It's mind-blowing, especially in that context where, where Jews don't see eye to eye with the Gentiles. So here, 
it's really humorous. It's like uh, almost like a, like, a, like a joke from heaven saying, hey, how am I going to get these two, two different worlds together it's to glorify God's name? I'm going to send the most murderous person ever, <laughs> the one who hates Gentiles like crazy, and I'm, I'm going to transform him and make him into a spokesman, into a prophet, into an apostle that will bring the Gentiles into the grace of God. And now they both have access to this temple of God, to the presence of God. So in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 3 and on, it says, not only that, we, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces Character and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, ha who has been given to us. We rejoice. You know, think about the, uh, the thinking behind Paul here. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in verse 2, and then not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. So here is Paul giving a nod to the fact that, yeah, I understand that nothing is perfect yet. You know, that we, there's suffering, there's lament, there's brokenness here. There is uh, things that, that, that are still not all 100% heaven yet. Suffering is there. And maybe the suffering might be pointing to the fact that uh, both of these warring parties they feel so offended to <laughs> each other, right? And they had to suffer uh, sitting through maybe church together or, or, or you know, or the suffering that they have felt, the, the psychological pain, that feeling that being rejected by, by, by a part of the church and so on. But it produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And it's pointing to the fact of who the future hope is. God our Lord but presently because God's love has been poured into our hearts God's presence, God's love has been poured into our hearts, God's Holy Spirit has been given to us God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. So Jew and Gentile both have access into the hope and the glory of God, into the presence of God, into the very temple, into the very holy of holies both of them have. So Paul here is not speaking of some, we, we in the West, Western church have individualized, uh, psychologized about this text in, in so many ways. We, we think it's always about our guilty feelings, you know, and how, how we feel guilty before God and, and, and so on. Paul's actually addressing not guilty feelings, but community problems. Problems that were going on in the community of faith because they were all fighting with each other. It is not individualized feelings of guilt. It is about the community not getting along the community of faith, which means that the 
stakes are very high because the community of faith cannot be good news. How can it be the gospel of God that, can be brought, that will be broadcasted to the rest of the world? So into a dangerous, complicated situation, the gospel speaks about there's no shame. Both of you can get along and to present yourselves now uh, together before God. So the argument goes with, with Paul. How can you tolerate each other? Well, think about God's generous grace. So in, in Romans chapter 5, it talks about, once again, in verse 9, now justified by his blood, much more. Okay, take those words, those turn of phrases. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. And much more in verse 10, that now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved. Much more. Grace of God is so much more. Utterly undeserved generosity of grace is totally underscored here. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. And given the state of the church, in this, uh, uh, given the state of the church and uh, given the state of affairs in that divided church, what then, Paul is trying to lead them to think, what then should be the practice of the church? Is it a posture of, Hey, I'm more superior than you, man. <laughs> or is it a posture that is a of grace? Are we empowered by grace? Or are we empowered by rules and laws and, and uh, protests? And the Western church today is, is just, today is just known for that, isn't it? It's just about judgment. It's about, uh, about laws, about, hey, the culture is wrong and we're going to impose our culture and div more division. And more division. But what does Paul write about? Paul writes about generous grace. Look at the world. Look at each other. Let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he hammers home that, that uh, generous grace as we as he leads us to think about the descent of death in Adam and, and the ascent to life in Jesus. I won't be able to go through, uh, you know, in, in detail, but read uh, Romans chapter 5 about how, how sin was introduced through Adam and uh, into the world even before the law, the, even before the Ten Commandments was given. And sin was not counted yet, but death still reigned from Adam to Moses. So even before uh, the law, before the Ten Commandments, death was already, the wages of sin is death, right? And, uh, and death was already there. And, and what Paul is trying to direct them to think is the condition of humanity. Uh, even before the law, sin was already alive. And then through the introduction of the gift and uh, the sent to life through Jesus Christ, a much more grace, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace abounded to many. 
So through the one man, Adam, sin introduced, and then through the one man, Jesus, grace was introduced. And what's the purpose of the law? It's to point to the fact that Sin is truly sinful. It's a point to the fact that we have all missed the mark. It's a point of the fact that uh, sin has has made the law. I mean, the law has made the sin alive, come alive. So in verse uh, verse twenty five twenty, it says, "Now the law came to increase the trespass." to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded. Again, get the picture. All the more. All the more. Much more. All the more grace abounded. So here Paul is trying to teach the, um, the Roman church to believe in the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Believe in what? That the grace of God abounds more even when sin seems to have come alive and, uh, and trespass of sin came and increased with the law. But the righteous shall live by faith. So, Paul is trying to teach his readers about the generous grace that is in Jesus Christ. As we read into uh, chapter 6, talks about uh, the baptism, how we are all baptized into Jesus' death, that we are buried with him, uh, with the, uh, with the uh, picture of baptism, and the old self is crucified and no longer, no longer slave to sin. But now, because of what Jesus has done, the, the, the uh, righteousness that is manifested what Jesus has done is that we are now in, in the all the more generous grace of Christ. Just as Christ was raised by the glory of the Father and now is alive to God in Christ Jesus, we too might walk in the newness of life. Death no longer has any power. So again, the, the key thing here is to key in on the fact of how generous God's grace is how all the more, how much more, and not about not about mere uh, following rules and regulations. Think about the grace of God. So, as Paul leads people into thinking like that, he's saying, "Okay, God's grace is so wonderful. God's grace is like, we are all we are all saved by grace. Wonderful." Then the might be some thinking. So, can we just continue to sin so that grace may abound? <laughs> All the more grace there. Okay, wonderful, great news. And then Paul writes what? By no means. By no means. We are buried with him by baptism in death just as Christ was raised from the dead. We might too walk in the newness of life. Not just go back to the old ways, but walk in the newness of life. So, Paul is reaching, teaching the people to not take it for granted, the grace of God. Uh, yes, you are no longer under law, 
you're, you're under grace. So now walk, present yourself uh, to God as uh, instruments of God's covenant justice who puts things to the right. So he expects the people of God to put things right, to conduct themselves well to the, to the, to the life of Christ. So are we could continue to, to sin that grace may abound? By no means. We too might walk in the newness of life. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is the teaching of Paul. Say, you need to live in the life of Christ Jesus, who was raised from the dead. So you too now need a new life raised from the dead. Sin is now gone, dead, buried. Now live a new life. So as we think through, he brings in Romans chapter 7 this illustration of marriage. Think about it. When when you're married, the law says you just can't divorce. Law is binding to you. The law says to you, the wife is bound to the husband while the husband is still alive. But if the husband dies, what happens? You're free. (laughs) You're free from the law, and you can go on and marry whoever you want. And that is the the illustration that was given in in Romans chapter 7. So let's read from Romans chapter 7. Uh, verse 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit uh, for death. But now, again, but now we are released from the law, having died to having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So Paul is leading his readers into a place where he says, there is this new life, there is this, we walk under grace, not law. But what does it look like? It looks like this. You are released from the law. You, you have died to the law. So the new life of the spirit in Romans chapter 7 speaks of the fact that you belong to Jesus now. You, you're, in fact, when you feel the need to follow certain rules and regulations, it means this, that your sinful passions have been aroused. Yeah. It means you're actually in a place where you're, 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 you're actually tempted to sin even more. But the law does not have any power to change you or transform you. The law actually arouses you. It's 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 kind of like, uh, you know, when I, when when my kids were little, I says, "Don't do this." You know, don't don't put your hand on the on the stove because it's gonna burn you. You know what? Sinful passions are aroused, right? And what do they do? Oh, I'm gonna touch it. <laughs> doesn't matter how hard the, you lay down the law. Sinful passions are aroused. You, you say the law, it doesn't matter. They're going to go for it. <laughs> Same thing happens to us when we, when, when we are, it's just about law. The, the relationship that we have with law is that 
oh, you say, don't do that, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's so rebellious. That's who we are. It's just so rebellious. And that's what it, it does. Law just makes us even more sinful. And the sinful passions aroused by the law, what happens then? Paul tells us this, bear fruit for? Bear fruit for what? Read it. Bear fruit for death. That's a death sentence. And scripture again with a but now. <laughs> but now, release. You are released from the law, from a, law, from, from a life of pressure, of try, trying to figure out your spirituality. It's like, oh, man. Did God say this, do that, don't do that? Or did I do this, do that? No, no longer. You are released from the law to follow Jesus who, remember, dwells in you, right? By the Spirit in your heart. God has poured His Spirit into our hearts. God has poured His love into us. The presence of God is there. So what you need to do is actually get to know the Spirit of God. Get to know the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code, not the old way of the law. So released from the, from the, from, from the law, we should be having a sense of no more pressure, no more pressure to conform to outward codes and outward morality and, and all that. But we are now serving in a no-pressure life Serve in the new way of the Spirit, a new life of the Spirit. So God has given us, gifted us this grace of this new life of the Spirit. Learn more and more what it means to have the Spirit of God who dwells in our hearts. If you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, verse 17, it speaks of the, the, the flesh battles with the, with the spirit. And, uh, and when it does that, what happens is it prevents you from doing what you really want to do, which is what? To serve in the new way of the spirit. Search in your heart. When, when you became a Christian, when you believe, what is it that you wanted to do? You want to celebrate, you want to dance, you want to you know, you're set free from your sins, right? And what happens? You just want to worship. You just want to do the things of the Spirit of God, right? Follow that. Follow what's in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It is the new way of the Spirit. It's not the old way of the written code. So Paul is writing, if that is a reality, how then should you relate to each other in a divided church? Release them. Release them from your codes of conducts, conduct, or from behavioral, mere behavioral conformity to laws. Release them. Release them. And now dance with them <laughs> in the new way of the Spirit. So what's the relationship between uh, the law and us who believe in Jesus? You need to die to it. You're dead to the law. You know the scripture when it says dead, it means no response, right? What do dead things do? 
expect nothing. <laughs> That's how we should be responding to the law. Be dead to it. But alive to who? To Jesus. Alive to grace. Alive to faith. Alive to the spirit who now dwells in you. Get to know Jesus. Get to know who he is. Get to know the character of God. Get to know the character of God from the Old Testament. Who, uh, who the, uh, the God who visited Abraham from nowhere. <laughs> Out of nowhere, God chose Abraham. Loved him. Gave him this blessing and say, hey, you're going to be the father of all who believe. And so you are all who believe. You're all in a good place. Now go out and dance with others. Go out and live it. Live it out with others. Live it out loud. Live it, live it with grace. Empower each other by grace. And so today, let me finish by saying, you have freedom from the law. So why soak seeds of disunity and say, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, and then with a frown on our face, you know, make life miserable for everybody. You got to follow my, 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 the way that I do things in church, you know. No, we cannot apply standards of righteousness to others. Why? Because we all die to the law. And you know, when we conform to just outward codes of behavior, we are just arousing, make, making it more, more uh, uh, arousing sinful passions that are it, that's in us. But we got to live out the ATM, right? All the more generous grace of God. That is what we got to live in and live out. And then embrace the unity of faith there's a tendency for us to individualize our faith in the Western church when we, we, don't, we, we don't even see each other anymore, right? We, we just go to church, it's always about me, it's about me and my, my guilty feelings, and <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel so ashamed. And, but if you read the scriptures, what Paul is saying, no, it's not just about your guilty feelings, it's about loving others. Love God, love your, love your neighbor including others. That's the gospel. When we know how God prized people and not miss people. So today, remember that you've been freed, you're released to bear fruit for God, not to bear uh, bad news and death kind of stuff to others. And uh, you're released to give grace, you're released to... to uh, to know even deeper God's covenant loyalty in Christ. So today, remember, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father God, help us uh, in we, when we think about uh, the Romans uh, picture here, that uh, our lives should be resting on you, on your grace, on your and to be convinced that, so convinced in our hearts and our lives that you can do what you promised to do, that is to deliver us from our sins and that we can have peace with you and therefore we can have peace with each other and therefore we can give grace to one another and therefore we can bear fruit for you and not bear fruit for death. Help us to free people, not cage them in 
Help us to give grace. Help us to live life like a joyful dance with you. Help us to bless others. Help us to rest on the promise of your, of your, of, uh, that is based on who you are, the character, on your, on your covenant loyalty, on the fact that you have always kept your word. Help us to, to see the gospel is at stake when we, when we divide and when we, when we uh, insist on our way or the highway. Help us to learn to live, to accept, to, to, to forgive, to, to have the truth of grace living in us and to be reconciled to each other. Help us to see how you are designing the church to be built together to be a dwelling place, that Jew and Gentile are being built together, that those who are divided are being built together now into a dwelling place for you, Lord, by the Spirit. Forgive us when we, are, when we, when we just tend to think about it's just my private little faith my, that has nothing to do with other people. We have so westernized our, our, our thinking that we, it's, it's just about individuals. But when we look at the scriptures, we know it's about community. We know it's about the people of God and the witness of the people of God and the witness of good news, of grace, uh, through the people of God. And ch- church is actually something that you value, that you love, that you gave your life for. So help us as we think through all these things. Help us when we, when we f- feel the need to judge others or to protest others, that we remember all the more grace has been shown to us. All the more, much, much more. And help us not to tear up people, but to build them up in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Andrew had a huge chunk of scripture he had to cover today. So I encourage you guys to go home and continue to read and study it. The big takeaway from this is that we are free. That we're free from the law. And when we talk about freedom from the law, it's not just freedom from rules and regulation. It's freedom in our spirit. Jesus' entire ministry is about faith and grace. That faith is this huge thing that we sometimes forget about as a church and we just go to that place of these are the things that we need to do, these are the the things that the church does, and these are the, the way that we live. And we focus so much on the do's and don'ts that we forget that Jesus' whole ministry was about faith. And it's that faith through grace, right? That there's a grace for us to be able to live in the place that we are as broken people, as sinners. But the whole thing is about faith. And that is the faith that makes you righteous. Just as Adam, not Adam um, Abraham had faith. That David had faith. That even throughout Jesus' ministry, that in his healing and in the places that he performed miracles, what did Jesus say? Jesus said that because they had faith, they were healed. The focus here is on faith. And when we have the right faith in God, Jesus talks about faith, even if you have the faith in God, 
faith in Jesus as small as a mustard seed that you can move mountains. As a church, I believe that we are called to move mountains, that miracles are going to happen through the church, but we are not going to be able to do that without faith. And so Jesus' emphasis, even Paul writing here, is that emphasis on that we need to put our faith in Jesus, and then out of that faith, things happen. Out of that faith, we follow the things of the law. Right? But Jesus also said that the law is now fulfilled through me. Prior to Jesus, there's all these ceremonial laws that people had to do to make themselves clean, that they were unclean because of all these things. And Jesus says, no. I'm making you all clean. I'm making you all righteous. I'm giving you all access to my Father's righteousness. And then the way that we live out the church becomes filled with joy, filled with grace, filled with mercy. We're able to do things that require justice through grace, through mercy, through love. Paul's message to the church is re-emphasizing the entire ministry of Jesus and what Jesus has come to do. And so church, be free. Be free to live out your faith in a place where you're not bound by legalism, but that you have the freedom to live out this relationship that we have with you. That's where the strength of the church comes from. That we are united because of that. That we are brought together because of that. Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for this message, for this challenge, for us to understand that we are a church and a people that live because of your son Jesus. So, Lord, increase our faith. And, Lord, let that be our prayer. Increase our faith. May we see more of who you are. May we see more of your grace upon us. Let us live in your freedom. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.